Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. I'm live from Chiang Mai again, so hopefully you don't hear any kind of plane flying above the apartment, because... Apparently, planes fly really low in Chiang Mai. And today, I'm with Mark, who is still in Budapest. How's it going, Mark? Good. Getting ready to step on a plane myself, actually. Yeah. I'll probably just see you fly right above the apartment as you get here. <laughs> I'll wave to you. Anyway, that's not the topic. Uh, we're going to be at the SEO conference this week, so we're recording this a little bit in advance because of that. But today, we're going to talk about mistakes that we've made selling info products. And we have sold info products in different niches. Right now, most of the info products we sell is on Atari Hacker, we're not going to lie. But we have done it on Health Emission. We have done it before as well. And there's a lot of things we've figured out throughout the process. Uh, but before we get on talking about that, I think we need to be, give a bit of uh, why people should do information products. So why is it a good idea for people to do that? And why do not people do it usually? Because I feel a lot of people who listen to us are really, really focused on affiliate marketing, but I kind of like selling info products. So what's going on, Mark? Well, I think info products are possibly the greatest business model in the world right now, because you have a very, very high leverage on what you're selling. You make it once and you can sell it almost infinite amount of times it's like a digital product you don't need any inventory or stock or cash flow that you know traditional businesses have and so everything you you make when you subtract ad costs and stuff is straight profit so it's very attractive you can make a lot of money if you can sell them so that's why i think they're great why they're great compared to stage one sites and like straight up affiliate marketing is i think it gives you an opportunity to really create a lot of extra value here and really build like a loyal customer base that you can grow and who can entice other customers in and who you can sell other products to in in future you know the people doing eight figures a year online tend to be stage three sites they tend to have their own products so if you're aiming for that kind of level of revenue, I mean, we're not there yet by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, hopefully one day, the, you know, you're going to need to to get into info products. I think it'd be tough to do that with just straight up affiliate marketing without. I mean, having, some you know, people do. Size. Some people make it with physical products too, right? Physical products are really hot right now. I was in DCBKK. Everyone's talking about e-commerce stuff. I'm not a huge fan. I just feel like the I studied international business, right? I study import, export, and everything. And it's a it's a headache. Uh, there's a reason why you need a degree to do it properly. And it's just like so, you know, the 100% of the revenue you get is profit with info products once you, I mean, minus marketing costs and zero marginal cost to deliver uh, the next unit is amazing. And I feel also it's just a great sales training. Like if you can sell info products, you can basically sell anything. And I feel like that's one of the reasons why a lot of people don't do this is because direct selling is something that feels scary to people. And even e-commerce to an extent feels less like direct selling because you just send people to like a traditional e-commerce product page. You're not really like hard pushing to sell a product. And I, I feel that's what people are scared of. I think it's also a case where people are kind of off put by the sheer amount of work it is to create the product initially. And then once that's done to actually create a successful funnel around it. 
let's not lie here. It is a lot of work, a magnitude of work more than, you know, creating content or, you know, especially yeah. if you're outsourcing it. It's, it's very difficult to outsource a course. I, I think there's few people that are able to do that successfully. Ten, th- those people tend to have, you know, built many courses themselves previously and know exactly what to do. So if this is your first one you're you're creating, then uh, generally you're going to have to build it yourself because, yeah, it's tough to outsource that while hitting a, a high quality level. It does take a bit of a higher level understanding of marketing in general as well, like what triggers people to buy, etc. which you made a lot less of when you're doing like review sites, affiliate marketing, and so on. So it's, yeah, you need to learn how to talk to people, basically. And I also think you have to kind of put yourself in, learn how to put yourself in the shoes of your, your customers, or your potential audience. I think some people are naturally better at doing that than others. And it's kind of like, not so much from a sales perspective, but I'm talking about from a learning perspective. So you may have really great information, but if you're presenting that in a way which is not easy for beginners or whoever's consuming your course to to consume and to learn from consistently over a period of time, then they're not really going to enjoy it. They're not really going to take away much from it. And it, ultimately, it's, it's not going to be a success. Or one of the things that's really important about a course is that it actually has to be really, really, really good. You can kind of get away sometimes with affiliate marketing of, you know, just because you're ranking number one, someone's going to trust your recommendation and then you'll make that commission on the you know, number one link on your your product table, which of all the products you're reviewing, something like that. But with info products, almost all of them have refund policies, refund guarantees. You can almost have to, to to sell the course these days. And so if it's not good, if it's not up to scratch, people will ask for the money back. Yeah, it does happen. That's that's one of the things. One thing I really like about owning the product in general versus affiliate marketing is the amount of traffic channels it opens outside of SEO. So I mean, we all know that Google releases not super nice updates sometimes and that SEO can be ups and down. But when you also have paid traffic, when you have traffic from affiliates, when you have traffic from email, when you have traffic from your retargeting, when you have traffic from push notifications, when you can do all of this because you own the product, it makes your business a lot more stable. It's like having, you know, standing on one feet and standing on four feet if you had four feet. That's a terrible <laughs> analogy. That's the worst analogy. Worst energy award of 2018. Right now. Let's, let's, uh, let's just say having info products is good for building a diversification of income. Yeah, it, it just feels much more. So I'm, an example of a, a site that I was looking at is a dietdoctor.com. So they got, it was interesting. They went up with the August 1st update. They went up with the September 27 update and they went back down to where they were. But actually, because they have a membership type business model they actually made a lot of money and they're going to make a lot of money from this increase of traffic they've had even though they're going back to where they were maybe lower i don't know yet all the sales they made in that time are going to be people that pay for like 12 18 months or something and that's going to essentially boost their business for a very long term which is really nice all right should we jump into the tips sure all right so the first one is actually picking the right tech stack and i feel like when people talk about these kind of business models they often dissociate tech from from the business, which it does make sense to some extent. But when tools are like unproductive and making it difficult to operate and do things and all straight up making it impossible as well, it actually does affect your business and it actually changes how viable it is. So picking the right tech stack is, is quite important. And 
we used to have an old tech stack. I'm not even sure if I should go through it, but we used to use a tool called Member Mouse, etc. We used to use what's the name, the course one, Strive Apprentice, but the old one built in the themes, etc. Basically, it was getting old. What we recommend you use right now, and if I was building another membership site, which we might next year actually, I would use Active Members 360 together with Active Campaign. They work really well. Right now, I've been testing it. The new member area in Atari Hacker, and that works really well. LearnDash and Astra together work really well. So LearnDash is a learning management system that you know allows you to tick a lesson is done, etc. And Astra is just a WordPress team that's pretty light and nice, but it actually has CSS for LearnDash. So that's why they work well together. Check out, I've tested all of them. I do like PayKickstart the most right now. We do need to process more payments through it for me to make it a 100% recommendation, but I like it. Video hosting, Vimeo has been the best for us. Webinars, I know it's getting older, but it's still the best right now. I've tested all the new ones recently. I actually uh, just want to explain the Vimeo thing because a lot of people actually think, oh, Vimeo sucks. But in terms of value, it's just like it's so much. It's like on another level compared to anything else. You you pay, I think it's two hundred ninety seven dollars per year, and you we can have one ninety nine. Actually, we had the old pricing. I think you get unlimited video hosting with it, and you can restrict that so it only works in your domain. And you have all these kind of like controls that you'd want when you're selling a course, so it can't be just shared around freely. And it's pretty much the only tool at that price range that does it. All the others charge you, I think, like per bandwidth or something, Wistia and that. It's really expensive, yeah. Wistia is really expensive. They do arguably have better UIs and, you know, it's a better experience watching a Wistia video in in most cases. Depending on how many people visit your course, you're going to pay, you know, sometimes 50 times the price to host your videos with that. I know some people on Wistia are paying over $2,000 a month for video hosting. So yeah, when we pay $200 a year, I'm like, yeah, it's pretty good. That is Vimeo, it's pretty good. So for webinar, we use Webinar Jam. I've tested all of them. Webinar Jam has a lot of marketing options built in, like adding tag in active campaign, et cetera, et cetera, putting your Facebook pixels in the webinar room, and it works pretty well. And we use Deadline Funnel for creating deadlines. So yeah, picking the right stack, and this stack is going to change. If you're listening to this podcast later, you should go check our recommended tool page. We're going to keep it updated as much as possible. So these tools might have changed by the time you're listening to it. But if you are listening to this podcast as you release it, as most people do, this is what we recommend. And the fact that you're managing your members in active campaigns is actually really good. It allows you to have like one CMS for one CMS, yeah. Uh, for all of your contacts and actually add notes and add their memberships, add everything. And in one place, you can see, you know, everything about your bios works really well. Do you want to talk about the second tip? Sure. So prepare to update your info product or your course. And this is a mistake we made several times, actually, particularly with the authority site system. So it's been two years since we released it initially. We did make, I think there's two updates we did to it. There were kind of like patchwork, sort of minor updates, like just fixing a few DLCs. Yeah. Yeah. But during that time, a lot has actually changed in the online marketing landscape. Online marketing is particularly prone to this, by the way, because it relies on a lot of software and tools which update. And, you know, there's just new ways of doing things that sort of come out every month, it seems. And that can put your your old way of teaching things out of date. Amazon was another thing. You know, they changed their rules fairly frequently. So we had to update accordingly. 
And it's not just online marketing that's specifically a problem here. When you create a course for the first time or the second time or whatever, you're always going to get better at it over time. So your skills in that area will develop. Even if it's something super evergreen, like learning to play the guitar, you know, two years from now, wherever you are in that stage of your understanding, even if you're, you know, a professional teacher who's been doing it for 20 years, you're going to get better. And especially this is true is if you're releasing your first course, because you'll get a lot of feedback from your students, not just about like the technical things you're talking about, but the way in which you teach it. And you will make mistakes there. Everyone does. So it's important to have that feedback loop and to actually take on board what people are saying and update your course from, from time to time. I would recommend actually setting aside a specific amount of time once a month to look at feedback, once a quarter to actually make new videos and, and update it. If there's anything urgent that's broken because of some software update or something fundamentally has changed in your industry, then obviously jump on that immediately and, and fix that so that it doesn't break your course and people can still use it and get value from it just know that even if you're updating it constantly from time to time every few years you will most likely have to do a full rebuild because the patchwork approach can get messy with video and this is this is true in many cases because you end up talking about the same concept which may change or using the same tool which may change throughout your course and it's not always straightforward to just you know cut a few bits of video or replace one or two videos and, and, and fix it if you're talking about something throughout throughout your whole course. So just acknowledge that that's something you're, you're going to change as well. So if anyone tells you that info products are something you just build once and sell forever and forget about it, that's not strictly speaking true. So you, sh- you should dedicate some time to actually, to actually update here. And the final thing I'll say around this is the feedback you get from your audience, like pay very, very, very close attention to it. Because when there's a problem, maybe a hundred people will experience this problem, but only a handful will actually take the time to let you know they've experienced it. The rest will just walk away, ask for a refund, stop buying from you. So you need to pay attention when you when you are getting complaints or, or negative feedback and, and action those properly. Yeah, I just want to go back on the updating courses. I feel like when you go back and patch, like, you know, do a quick video edit and or add some notes under it, etc., there's some kind of butterfly effect eventually that kicks in where you're kind of changing a small part of what you're doing and it changes the way the next lessons should be done, et cetera, et cetera. And eventually it just lose coherence. And so, yeah. We That's a be, really we good should... analogy, Gail. Well done. Better than the last one. But... <laughs> can you do this with just two feet or do we need four? <laughs> well, let's see. I'll talk to some mutants or something. Let's go check in Chernobyl, whatever. But the thing is, what this says is because you're going to have to reshoot your courses every two or three years, essentially every time you make a refresh, you have a timer in front of you. You have a three-year timer where you're like, I need to sell this as much as possible to maximize the investment I spent creating this course. And I think putting yourself that pressure of like, this is not forever, is going to make you do better marketing. So it's very real. It's going to happen. And when you're creating a course, you only have a set amount of time to sell it. So the scarcity is on you and it should be pushing you to take action more than should stress you really. So that's, that's one thing I wanted to say. Uh, and I think on that point, we should talk about why you should keep your files. And that's the next mistake we've made, actually. So Mark did something great. We're going to talk about this again. I'm sorry, but you, that's for making fun of my analogies. 
We merged a few of our Google Suite accounts into to one, so we didn't have separate installations for each website we were working on, which we did before. And as part of this, due to just like a series of unfortunate mistakes, we deleted our YouTube channel on Authority Hacker. It was tied to an old Google Plus account, which Gail had, and we just completely forgot to even like think about it as an issue. So it was my fault entirely, but it's something that can happen to the best of us. And we lost a ton of videos from a channel and we hadn't backed them up, which was, that was really the real mistake, not backing them up. <laughs> Although I say that now. And it's something which is true as well for when you're building a course, uh, specifically with, with videos. Don't rely on just uploading them to Vimeo or whatever video platform and saying, oh, that'll do it. Mistakes can happen. You can encounter problems. Companies can go bankrupt. You know, all sorts of things can potentially happen here. So it's always worth keeping a backup of all your video files or all your text files or whatever format you're keeping in on Google Drive. Not just like, oh, let's just throw everything on there. And if we need it, we'll, we'll, we'll dig it out. But like actually take the time to name and organize these files so you can find them easily. This is true. Remember, when we're talking about editing videos, it's going to be much easier. If you're working with a team, if you have a video editor, if they can find what they're looking for, not having to dig through Camtasia file one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, etc. Like name your stuff properly. And as well, if you're, if you're doing the video editing, actually take the raw stuff you like the raw video you captured and upload that as well upload the the camtasia file or whatever screenflow software you're you happen to be using there so that other people can come in and and edit these videos and you don't have to just you know you have all like the the editing and the blurring and the uh annotations and anything else you're you're doing as well as the raw video so you can you can go back and and do it yeah that's when you get to upgrade your Google Drive plan, usually. Mine is already at 120 gigs right now, so. Yeah, but it's so worth it. Like, it's just, when you have several people working on, on stuff, it's, it's infinitely easier if you take the, take the time to do this. And as you go, you're going to encounter problems, and you're going to have to go back and edit it and, uh, like, rename everything and reorganize it again. That's something we're probably going to do in the next few weeks because our Google Drive's a bit of a mess at the moment, even still. It's typical, just finished re-recording a course mode, you know, it's like we're just, everyone has been throwing a bunch of content left and right, and it's just, yeah, it's just a mess. Even though you have these naming conventions, eventually when you're like rendering at 11 p.m., these things tend to like not stick very much. So do what we say, not what we do, basically. So anyway, keep a backup of all your video files either have an external hard drive and or put it on the cloud or do both. Talking about that, Mark, do we have a backup of this podcast? Yes, we do. So we back up our podcasts on, on Google Drive. We download them from Zencaster. It's a great tool if anyone's interested. We uh, back them up on Google Drive and then we, uh, yeah, we upload them to SoundCloud as well. So we have it, have it there as well. So we actually do what we talk about there. And they're all named correctly. Sometimes. Since I took it over, we have like a good naming convention. It's everything's easy to find. So happy days. Sure. Awesome. Let's talk about webinars now. The webinars and videos really to sell higher price items. So when we were selling the Juicing Factor on Health Ambition, which was our Juicing ebook, we didn't use any kind of image or video or webinar or anything. And really we just used text emails. And looking back now, looking at back at all the experience we have selling info products, it's a huge mistake. First of all, I want to say don't sell $7 ebooks as your like product funnel. Like 
$7 ebooks are only here to build higher buys and really any kind of info product should have a card value of up to $200 at least. And when you have these card values that are high enough, then things like webinars are really, really powerful. Videos can work too, or evergreen webinar, whatever you want. I talked about this in conferences. This year, actually, I talked about it in uh, DCPKK and DMSS Valley. But anything that's over $200 is really not an impulse purchase. And um, the way people usually want to sell these things is like, oh, because it's a bigger sell, I need to first warm people up and then sell to them. So what they do is they send them an email with like introducing themselves, an email with like their best blog post, another email with their second best blog post, another email with their third best blog post. And they're like, oh, look, now I showed you all this great stuff. I'm going to sell my product to you. And then they get very few sales. And so the problem is these 20% of people are not the same people, right? They, they overlap sometimes heavily, but they, they, they're still not the same people. So if you send three emails before you make an offer, it's 20% times 20% times 20%. So it means you're reaching a single digit of people with all that content. And as a result, the people that you've effectively warmed up then made a sell proposition to is a very, very small amount of your leads. So if, let's say you collect 100 leads, the people that will actually go through that sequence and get hit by all the points of marketing you're throwing at them is going to be maybe 10 leads or less, maybe, maybe six, seven even. The problem is because you have too many touch points. So the point of webinars and long videos, et cetera, that you give to people is to reduce the number of touch points, even if it's long. I mean, when we do an evergreen webinar on Atari Hacker, it's two and a half hours. So it's really long and a lot of people drop off, but the drop-off is still much less significant than it would be if we were sending three or four emails to people because most people never actually get rich by all these emails, read them, and actually consume the content. That is in your head. That is in your fantasy. And most people just open one in five emails and even barely read it. So that's what's happening. So the webinar is kind of a great opportunity to introduce yourself to the customer, to provide a ton of value right away, and then to very smoothly transition to the sale, which is also a very difficult part of selling info products. It's kind of like, hey, I'm giving you all this free content, now nah, give me money. That's kind of a hard, hard sell to do to people, and webinars are actually a great way to do that. That's why most info product funnels I will build in the future will definitely rely on webinar. The tech is quite important and sometimes doesn't work out even if you have the best setup ever, for webinars. But one thing that people always forget as well is that a lot of people follow the perfect webinar by Russell Brunson, which is really good for the sales part, but feels a bit light on the value side. And, and people really are just focused on the pitch. You make yourself during the value part of your webinar by wowing people, by showing them great stuff. I mean, I'm really proud on the one we have on, of the one we have on Atari Hacker. I think it's, it's one of my best webinars ever. And people could literally watch it, not buy and still build a site. Still buy it, but please, but whatever. So it's quite important to do that. And when you get to the pitch, people are already sold, essentially, and that's how you make sales. So I personally really like webinars because they reduce touch points and because most people, even most marketers' vision of human marketing is not what's happening in real life. What's happening in real life is most people don't open all of your emails. Even if you get the same open rate, it's not the same people seeing these emails. And as a result, your imaginary warm-up sequence actually doesn't do all that much and just gives time for your leads to get cold. So webinar also, by reducing touch points, also brings the cell much closer to the opt-in point, which is the point at which the leads were the warmest. So webinars are great, essentially. Anything you want to say on webinars? 
No, just do them. They're awesome. Okay. <laughs> do you want to take the next point? Yes. So the next point's around creating a community and why that's so much more than just a simple add-on that, that, that many people think it is. To sort of like go back to the health and mission example, we had no community whatsoever for our juicing product. People would just, you know, log in or buy, consume the course. And a lot of the time people had questions or they weren't quite sure about something or they wanted to see how other people were doing and they would just contact us on, on support, which took actually a lot of time to handle that, especially if it was a lower ticket uh, product. So, and we we're keen to deliver a good experience. So that, that wasn't ideal. So creating a community, and this often takes the form of a Facebook group where when someone buys your product, you will add them and only once they buy the product, you'll add them, add them in so that you have like a, a group of buyers and you know, people can share tips and tactics and ask questions and, and that kind of thing with each other. I feel like a lot of people kind of don't really give this the attention that it really deserves. Uh, I feel like a lot of people, uh, they'll create a, a group and they'll maybe post a bit at the start, then hire some cheap VAs to kind of moderate it and just kind of let people chat to each other there. And they take the approach like, oh, don't bother me. I'm busy doing other stuff. But I think a community is so much more than this. It's a really good way, not just to add perceived value to your sales page so that we'll, people will actually pull the trigger, but actually to create something which is just insanely valuable to people. To give you a, an example with Authority Hacker Pro, I would say that most people say that our H Pro Facebook group is the best part of, of the course or the best part of the, the product, really. Which we need to work on the teaching, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, people say good things about that as well. We definitely need to update a few things on there. But I think it really goes to show that we have put quite a bit of effort into making that group good and to building it right so that people can actually get a ton of value from it. You know, to give you a specific example, a few months ago, someone offered us five figures to sponsor that group. And we turned them down. Because we don't want to make it like a commercial venue. We don't want people to be bombarded with ads or deal with anything like that. When people are not feeling kind of under pressure to buy something or questioning whether the authenticity of a, you know, a recommendation or something like that, then they're not going to be as open. They're not going to share things as much as they do. And I think that's part of the reason why so many people like that Facebook group is because people are pretty open and, and honest and like share a lot of things which they wouldn't generally do in some of the you know public groups or something like that so yeah that's the that's the first thing i would also say that it's rare but there will be a few people as soon as you start adding hundreds or thousands of people to your your group you will get a few people who are just not really a good fit so in that case i would suggest just kicking them out uh, refund them and, and kick them out if they're if they're causing trouble. You'll know these people when you when you see them, but don't hesitate to. When they uh, start insulting you on the Facebook group, you mean? Don't hesitate to uh, to do that. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing I would say is actually like give people value through this channel. So it can be free stuff um, in terms of content. So maybe you've just discovered something really cool, a new tool, a new tip, a new tactic, a new way of doing something. So take a few minutes to write that up or make a very quick video or however you want to share that information, post it on that group, see what people say. A lot of our blog posts, not that we're creating many blog posts at the moment, that's going to change soon on 
authority hacker, some of the like tips and tactics and ideas were shared, you know, well in advance of of the actual blog post on those Facebook groups, on that Facebook group. So yeah, I mean, that's, I think it's just a, a great way to, to kind of add value at the moment as well. As we're recording this, we have people beta testing the new authority site system course, which we've created. We get a lot of value from that because people are giving us feedback and people in the group get a lot of value because they're getting early access to something of, of huge value. So that's, a, that's another reason why people will you know, kind of feel that, that those groups are, are really, really great. In order to do this, though, you actually have to spend some time on it, answering questions yourself. So I say to people in, in the Authority Hacker groups, if there's something you want to ask us, you can tag us. And we'll not always, because we do occasionally you know, read it while we're out and forget to come back to it or whatever. But most of the time, I would say we're pretty good, you and I, Gail, at, uh, at answering and responding to people who ask us specifically questions in there. What you will find with the group, is if you make it good and if you make people, your, your other customers willing to contribute to it, then they will start sort of answering each other's questions for each other. So you'll have to do less work in that way. And because what generally happens in these groups is people sort of learn from each other and start thinking you know, along similar lines and doing similar strategies, then the information or the, the advice that people are giving you is, tends to start being in line with what you're teaching, which is great. So, I, yeah, I think groups are awesome. Another thing we do with the group as well is for blog posts at the time at which we were producing them, which they're coming back, as Mark said. We were actually using the group to poll for opinions and put quotes of members inside blog posts to enrich them. So let's say we talk about a specific affiliate network, for example. We'd be like, hey, is anyone using them? And what do you think about them? And then we'd get the quote from the member directly from the group inside the post. And I would just enrich your content a lot while making it a subtle promo for the paid group behind you. Know? Yeah. So that it was quite nice to use it that way. We've also sort of done polls in these groups where we ask people, you know, what blueprint do you want us to make next? And people vote on it. And we actually made them based on, on that most of the time, I think. So podcasts as well. I mean, like we asked there as well. The way we do it for Toy Hacker is we're like, oh, the people that are in the Facebook group, they are the customer. They're the archetype of the people that will actually buy the courses. So these are the people that we're producing content for, mostly, as a business. And so as a result, we can actually pull them, see what they like, and just assume that people like them will also like it and, and be more interested in buying the stuff we sell. You know? I think it's also important to understand that a Facebook group is, is a, a two-way channel between you and your, your customers, the people who actually paid money with you. And it's really important because... You kind of have to be humble in a way, especially in, in something like online marketing where things change a lot and there's loads of new ideas coming up all the time. We learn a lot from our audience in the Facebook group. It's not just us saying, hey, do this, do this, do this. It's definitely a two-way street there. And you know, there's a lot of smart people doing very, very, very well in that group. And so by like cultivating this like open and sharing mentality, if you have those amazing people, then the group's just going to be really, really cool. But it's a way for you to learn what's working as well from your audience. It's a way to inform you of like what's changed in your product, what to update, which new products to create, all that sort of thing. So you know, don't just treat it as like a support forum or something. It's like a, it's a much more of a two way interaction. Yeah, and people like it when you interact like that. I think they just sure. like you more. Yeah. yeah. And the final thing I'd say about groups communities is so we, we use Facebook 
we did toy around with the idea of using a forum. However, it's been our experience that that doesn't work quite so well because just everyone's or almost everyone's on Facebook. You will get a few people that refuse to use it, but it's there and people can access it very easily. Even if like the search functionality and all that stuff is not as good as a, as a forum, you will have difficulty in, I think, getting people to use your forum and hitting that critical mass. You tend to need like a lot more people to make a, a forum work than you do with a, a Facebook group for whatever reason. So, yeah. And the final thing I would say about Facebook groups is officially you're not actually allowed to sell access to the group. So when you're positioning it, always label it as a sort of free bonus for your course. When when people buy your course, they get this for free as well. Awesome. Let's talk about the next thing that we kind of messed up, and that is scarcity. So scarcity is an interesting one, and I'm going to actually tell the story of Kurt from Convertica, which who is the next blog post coming up on Atari Hacker. He wrote a really long how to do A-B testing for affiliate posts. So I think that's going to be interesting for a lot of people who listen to this podcast. Uh, hopefully it comes out around the same time as this podcast, maybe even a bit before it might be there already. But essentially, Kurt has a CRO course that he's selling, and I was giving him advice, and he did a webinar because we talked before. So you see, we actually give the same advice to people we meet in real life as we give on the podcast. And he did his webinar and made zero sales. And he goes to me, he's like, what the f***, it's not working, da 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 I'm like, don't worry. The way it works is everyone buys just before the deadline and then emails you because they missed the deadline. And he's like, okay, send an email every day reminding people of the deadline, keep it up for three or four days. And then after that, just actually close it. When you say you will close it, don't be bullshit marketer. So he did it. And eventually his course made like way more sales than he expected. Why? Because scarcity sells. It's like, I know a lot of people don't like it. I know it's cheesy. And... uh, the reason why uh, is because a lot of people just are kind of interested but don't have a strong enough impulse to take the action. And this fear of missing out, this FOMO thing, helps people take action. Obviously, if you're going to be using tactics like that, I highly recommend that you're very lenient with your refund your refund policy as well because some people will buy one they probably shouldn't buy. And if that happens, you should give them their money back. That is the ethical thing to do. But in the old days, essentially, people did use fake countdown timers to do that, and they would just put a timer everywhere, and it would go down to zero and nothing would happen. But this actually helps you in the long term. Eventually, people know it's bullshit, especially if you're talking to the same people all the time. It's just not working, right? So the real solution is to to use real scarcity, and tools like DeadlineFunnel.com allow you to do that. That's what we use for our businesses and we use different, what we do is we increase the number of deadlines because the more deadlines you have in your launch, the more you can have countdowns going to zero. And this actually does increase sales significantly. So what we do is when, for example, people watch a webinar, then they get a discount that lasts about four days. Then they also have bonuses that are, are available until the end of the webinar. So that adds another deadline. Then we have availability on some things, things like sometimes things like payment plans as well that is also limited and overall we are able to put all these deadlines in front of people use scarcity and that works really well so essentially that is it use scarcity i know it feels cheesy i know a lot of people don't like it but when you a b test and that's what we're here for right we're here to like test things in real life and tell you what works and what doesn't and when we've tested it, the results were staggering. I mean, you can 3x your sales easily if you don't have scarcity and you're starting to use it. 
just because you give people a hard deadline that they need to meet. Anything you want to say on scarcity? No, aside from do it. With our launches now, like part of the whole structuring of a launch is like we basically take scarcity and think like, okay, how many scarcity points can we make in this launch? And then we build out the launch around that. So it's like absolutely the central focus of our, our launch design. Yeah, it works really well. Do you want to talk about upsells? Yeah, so uh, this was a mistake we made, again, back with the the juicing factor when we were selling that on Health Ambition, is we initially just sold the product. And I, I forget, it was like 20 bucks or 40 bucks, 39, something like that. Maybe it was 27. That, that sort of price range. But we sold it, and that was it. You bought it, you either bought it or you didn't. But something that's really important to know is that when you sell a product, a percentage of people are ready to spend more money with you. And when we added the upsell on the juicing factor, it added about 40% in revenue, which is a huge thing. I think the the upsell was another product, like, but a more like broader how to... 10 steps to better health, so, I remember. Yeah, something like that. So it had a, a very wide appeal. And the idea was that we we're going to you know, make more info products and have this as an upsell on them all. So, but you know, forty percent uplift is just insane. Like, there's not many things you can do in your business which will instantly add forty percent in uh, revenue or profit, really. In in the case of an upsell, so this really hit home when uh, I read a post on Videofruit.com where they broke down their their launch sequence and they really nailed this concept quite well. I think we'll link to that post in the in the show notes. But what they were saying is a certain percentage of people are already are ready to spend more money with, with you. So give them an option to do so. Such options can include things like better access to you. So this could be a some kind of one-on-one coaching. It could be you can make some kind of like custom plan for them or custom analysis of their, I don't know, site or body if you're in fitness or whatever it is. But something where you're interacting with them in, in a certain way. The downside of doing this is that it does, the leverage isn't very good. So you have to, you know, spend an hour every time someone buys it. So it doesn't, you know, scale infinitely well, but it, it can be a, a very good moneymaker if you price it correctly. You could have some kind of uh, inner circle group. I know, so no, I know a lot of courses do this where they have like, you know, special access or, you know, you get to do monthly calls or, something like that, but it's just like the, the top tier people. So you, you often get kind of like higher level of you know, information in those venues. Sometimes it can even be a sort of in-person mastermind. I know there's, there's some where they, they charge thousands of dollars a month for this and they meet up uh, every so often. And you know, there's really potential for a lot of, a lot of value in, in those. It can be something so as, as simple as more training. If you're selling them a course about juicing, you can sell them a, another course about general health or about another area of their their health that they they may be interested in. So it can be almost like another product entirely, or it can be the same product just in a different format. So if you've written a, an ebook, then maybe make some videos or record some some audio and sell that to them as the upsell, or do some interviews with experts in your in your niche and and package that. Maybe you can create some kind of uh, general action plan that you can give, although I would argue that that's a good thing to include just in the, in the base course. But there's lots of ideas you can, you can do to add additional content to your, your product mix, to your offer, that a lot of people will be, will be willing to, to pay for here. According to Video Fruit, Brian Harris, the 20 to 30%, I think, is the 
percentage that you should expect to take your your upsell. If more than that are buying it, then it's, it's too cheap. So you need to increase the price of that. We played around with this a little bit with uh, Authority Hacker Pro, and uh, for sure it works. As soon as we added the platinum option, we made a lot more money because a lot more people, a lot of people bought that and spent more, and they were willing to spend more money. So yeah, upsell is great thing. A lot of people will actually run a break-even front end of their funnel. So if they're running ads to their funnel or paying affiliates, sometimes they'll even pay affiliates, you know, 95%, 100% even of everything on the front end, or they'll run their ads at break even. So they're just churning in a lot of people and but making no money from the initial purchase and then making all of their profit from the upsell. Many, many companies do this, which is why it's actually quite difficult in certain areas to to make a profit on on Facebook ads in your funnel because all these guys are just breaking even deliberately and making their money from from the upsell. So yeah, I definitely recommend uh, adding upsell to to your product and considering that from the point at which you create the product itself. Don't just build your product and then try and figure something out to add on top of it or don't remove something which is critical to the use case of the the product and then make it for you know the upsell only actually design it so that both the regular people and the people who upsell get a ton of value and get what they want from it yeah i would say as well for with upsells that's where tech setup starts to play a role an important role because one click upsells essentially when people have checked out already being able to have them just click on the yes add this to my order button and it just adds it without them having to recheck out, increases your conversion rate massively. So that's when you want to have shopping cart software that allows you to do that. PayKickstart allows you to do that. SamCart allows you to do that. ThriveCart allows you to do that. Most of the modern ones allow you to do that. They're not the cheapest ones. So if you go for the cheap stuff, they don't let you do that. And to be honest, if you want to compete with Facebook ads, that's one of the things where probably can make or break you to have, depending which tech setup you have. So it's quite important to think about that as well. Another thing to think about in terms of technicality is to reach your customers as in as many channels as you can. So most people will start with email, so they'll collect leads on their website and then just email them during a launch or during an evergreen sequence every day or sometimes twice a day, whatever. They're just going to hammer that. But the simple fact of doing things like adding Facebook retargeting ads for us just increase revenue massively. And every time we're adding a new channel through which we reach these leads increases revenue. So you can use push notifications as well, and uh, you can use onesignal.com for that. It's pretty good. You can also get affiliates to email for you and just push people to your funnels if you're doing a live launch. And you can do things like messenger bots as well. Like on Facebook, you can do SMS as well, especially if you're collecting phone number for webinar registration, which is more and more frequent. Just every time we've, we've been adding new uh, channels has been increasing our revenue. One thing that we definitely need to play with that we haven't played with is Google Ads and YouTube Ads. But I have a feeling that as soon as we add these, we're going to actually see an increase in revenue again. So once you have something that already makes money, then increasing these channels uh, through which you can bring people back to your sales page when they are in your funnel pretty much always is massively profitable. For us, retargeting ads are like by far the most profitable ads. Anything you want to say on this? No, just, I mean, hammer home the point, like do retargeting, start with Facebook. I think our numbers are something like 40 to 46 times 
return on ad spend for retargeting. Yeah. So it means for every dollar we spend, we made, make $46. So that's a, something we want to do as much as we can of basically. So. And that, when you have these kind of numbers, you can go, you can really hammer it on different channels and it will always be profitable to some extent. It's, it's almost impossible to not make it profitable. So it works really well. This is around experimenting with doing big launches. So when we first created like courses on Authority Hacker, we literally just threw something up there. And I think we made like a small announcement, like, hey, this is available. And, you know, there's a sales page there. And if people wanted it, they could buy it. And we sort of mentioned it a little bit from time to time. That was a really just to, to get it out there and to like start making some progress with, with this. But when it really kind of hit home for us that, hey, we have something big on our hands here was when we did our, our first big launch. And so we... We basically stopped making the product available for a period of time. So we were selling it continuously for, I think, seven months, eight months. And then we stopped making it available. And then I think four or five months later, we did a big launch with it. And we set it up, right? You know, we, we put a lot of effort into building it up. So we had content going out on all our channels, blog posts. And we did like a podcast series warming up for the launch. And then we, we sort of structured it with all the scarcity points, which we talked about previously. We had the webinar at the start of the launch. And then we got affiliates to promote the webinar. And because it's a launch, like it just builds up this sort of like gravity or momentum around it where lots of people are kind of invested in, in making this big and growing it. And we did some cool things like, I forget what that tool, Gleam.io, we used that to do like a giveaway at the yeah. start. And that helped us uh, create this, like grow our email list quite a lot. Anything else you remember about like the pre-launch sequence from the first one, aside from the content? No, it was just this, it was a giveaway first to grow the email list and the podcast series to grow engagement. And then webinar that kicks off the opening of the course. Yeah. And uh, so during these two weeks, like we, we were like kind of even little things like we were paying much more attention to like the, the live chat we had on the sales page and trying to answer as many questions as possible. And just like taking care of things and paying a lot of attention to it. The downside of that is your attention is a hundred percent focused on that and you can't really do anything else during this time. It can be quite tiring, I guess. But when we did our first launch, we made six figures, like multiple six figures, in fact. And that was, uh, that really sort of sent a message to us like, hey, there's, there's something like insane in this business here. Um, you need to do more of this and build this up and put more effort into, into this. And, and that's what we've, we've done for the previous couple of years. Maybe not so much this year, but uh, we're, we've been focusing on kind of like rebuilding products and making things better so that we can do more of, of this kind of stuff in, in future. There is this kind of like debate that we have every time we do a launch, because as we said, it is very stressful. And uh, when something goes wrong, it hurts a lot. You know, we had some tech issue a year ago that cost us about fifty or $60,000. There's been other smaller ones as well along the way. So anything you get wrong, because, you know, all your sales are coming in this short period of time, it, it really can hurt you a lot. There's less opportunity to fix things and the consequences are can be can be very severe. Also, something I noticed, like when we were doing launches, it's quite hard to, I mean, you can kind of expect to make a decent amount of money, but you never really know what you're going to make in, in a launch versus like with an evergreen funnel. It's much more sort of stable. 
with a launch model, you can often find yourself, you know, your monthly profit, you may even make a loss every month during the other months, uh, depending on the size of your company and how fast you're trying to grow. And then, you know, you more than make up for it when you when you have the launches, you know, some companies I know make 90 plus percent of their revenue in the months they do launches. And then the, the rest of them, the rest of the time, they're, you know, hardly make anything in comparison, just because the numbers are so big. There have been times when we've had these problems where it's kind of maybe we've been a bit too emotional about it or something, but we're like, oh, this this is terrible. We need to like just do evergreen and you know get work on that so we don't have these these kind of big problems. And you know, you can argue either way. I think it's worth trying, trying both. But you know, don't just build your product, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Don't just build your product, put it out there and expect people to buy it. You kind of have to put a bit of effort into like the marketing side of things and doing a big launch is a really, I think, effective way, a proven way to make it work. I think you set a deadline as well. So you're like, oh, you announce when you're going to do it and then you just have to do it. Yeah. It's kind of like when you say you're going to lose weight and you tell everyone and then if you don't, you look like an idiot. It's kind yeah, of Yeah, it's like you create peer pressure for yourself in doing that. For example, by telling affiliates you're going to launch on X date and then you just kind of have to have to get it done by then. Otherwise, you know, you kind of lose that business. Right? And for some reason, it always gets done on time. It shows you that you can do way more with your time than you yep. think you can. Because if you don't set these deadlines, you would take yep. way longer. Another thing I want to talk about is testimonials. So like when you're selling info products, testimonials, they're like a huge marketing tools. I mean, it's like think about the before and after photos in diet products and so on. And it's something that we don't do very well right now and we definitely need to fix. And if, actually, if you have a success story with our stuff that uh, you want to you wanna share, you can email us on support.atoryhacker.com. We'd be happy to take it. But overall, social proof is everything. If you have well-known authorities recommending you, if you have a customer that has taken your product and has done well, and we had several emails of people doing it with the juicing product as well. You remember, Mark? Uh, like people were emailing us, oh my God, I'm losing weight, et cetera, and it's working well and so on. And we did a bad job by even utilizing yeah. that. But overall, collecting these testimonials is a really important thing to do if you're going to be selling for products. It builds credibility. If other people say it's great, it's probably great for the people that you know care about it. And so the one thing that I definitely need to build for uh, the new funnels that we are finishing right now is to build automations that are around two months after people bought the product, sends them an email with just a satisfaction survey. And so you can essentially have, you know, I am very happy, I'm happy, it's okay, it's not very good, or it was terrible. And for the people who say it was terrible, basically try to address it and try to get feedback from them so you can improve the product. And for the people who said that they really enjoyed it and really saw results, then try to convert that into testimonials so that you can do this kind of conditional logic with tools like Gravity Forms, for example. And, and what I would do is like the people that actually say that they really had good results and they did well with your product, I would even incentivize them to give you a testimonial. So things like a free upgrade or free consulting or you know a mastermind with them or give them gift cards or whatever it is, just give them some kind of incentive for them to take their phone, record a video saying how great their product worked for them, your product worked for them rather, how they recommend it to anyone that is trying to solve the same problem. Putting that on your sales pages does increase conversions massively. So you want to get the success stories. And it, it's like if the one thing that I definitely think that we need to do better when we build these kind of uh, info product funnels is that, is the testimonial collection from day one so that we can use them as marketing material. And this is going to 
bring you so much sales that i think it can be a bit when you create the course and maybe you create a facebook group for your your audience and uh, for your customers rather and you're interacting with them and you're seeing all these like positive messages and like good things happen you can kind of forget that there's a lot of people who are new to like haven't heard of you before and just come to your site and they don't have that same level of trust and understanding that you and your existing customer base already have so you can kind of forget after a while that a lot of people are still kind of trying to figure out if this is a scam or not so yeah testimonials certainly help a lot with that so yeah i hope we can do a better job of that in future yep do you want to pick the last point this was like 10 points but there's like a bonus point 11 it's not really a point but it's like something that underpins everything we've talked about here we've given you 10 tangible things that you can do to help they're going to help you succeed mistakes we've made we've learned from and we know that now work but if your core product sucks none of this is going to work so you can have the best funnel the smartest technology the best scarcity all these kind of things working in your favor but if your core product that you have isn't good then this is not going to work for you so you have to focus on that first and make sure that you are delivering insane value in your course and value is not just about you know number of words or length of video but it's around the change that you're actually making in someone's life if you're able to give someone a diet plan on like three page pdf but it's actually going to work and make someone you know thinner and more happy in their life that's insane value there doesn't matter how long it is although there is you know some correlations there between perceived value I'm not going to lie. But yeah, focus on delivering insane value. Make sure that you teach the topic thoroughly and well. So you you hit all the key points that you need to, to teach to educate people. You're not just telling people what to do, but you're also teaching them how to think about it for themselves so that they can make their own decisions about whatever the, the topic is. And finally, by far the most important thing, and this is the thing which almost everyone underplays or or doesn't even like consider at all is make it actionable. So for every part of your course, every lesson, every module, you need to create a goal and outcome, and you need to make sure that the content you've created around that outcome is going to actually help people to do it. And even more importantly, that people are actually going to do it. So you need to make that easy for them to follow, you know, checklists, to-do lists, action plans, you know, these kinds of things, helping people to actually implement what you're teaching is, is crucial for them to actually receive the, the end result that you're, you're kind of promising them. So, you know, in conclusion, basically don't just make a average product and do all these fancy things we talked about, make a great product, then do it and you'll have amazing success. Yeah. It's one of these things. It's like, I want to give people the most actionable advice on the podcast But there's this kind of high-level stuff that you also need to figure out to make this business work and to make it work in the long term, most importantly. If you don't want to be in like scam directories, et cetera, you need to build a product that's for it. And it's hard. I mean, we spent three months redoing the authority system, right? And we we thought a lot about how to make it more actionable and, you know, showing people exactly and making them to-do list so they do it, et cetera, and it's difficult. 
plus side of this, I would say, is that it actually makes it very difficult for people to to copy what you're doing. And so this is a big problem with uh, affiliate sites. You know, people go after your keywords and it's not too difficult to, to compete over such things, in most cases at least. With info products, it's different because even if someone copies the exact structure of your product, the exact topics, all that kind of stuff, it is very difficult in most cases for them to actually build a product that's going to be as as good as yours if you really care about this and if you really like put a lot of effort into it because the copycat approach is just it's always going to be not just subpar but significantly subpar when it comes to to info products just because they're so complex and there's so much intricacy in the way that the content is created and taught cool i guess that closes this podcast i hope you guys enjoyed it i know it's not affiliate SEO, but I really recommend that you also look into selling info products. It's a great way to also dodge very competitive niches. I mean, when we did this juicing course, I mean, it wasn't, juicing is just not a really popular SEO niche. It was much easier to get traffic in this niche and so on. And so this is kind of nice. If you are tired of evolving into very competitive environments, you can just dodge it and go into a niche that's under monetized, create an info product, and then essentially go and compete there, get easy traffic, sell, and then recruit other people to send you traffic and so on. So it's it's something I would recommend, something that we're looking into doing more next year, actually. So we'll probably talk about this as we are elaborating a plan. We don't have one now, but maybe we'll do more of that next year. Anyway, if you want to find all the show notes for this podcast, you can find all of them on atarihacker.com slash info products in one word dash mistakes. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. It was a long one, but I hope you enjoyed it. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so all these podcasts download automatically to your phone or wherever you listen them to. And you can drop us a review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to. That would really help us with uh, spreading the podcast. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.